Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Fifty-eight years ago, 61 people left their small church in Bridgeland to start a church on the North Hill of Calgary. And in May 1959, they had a dedication service for their new building. The speaker on that occasion was Bishop H.R. Hanninger, and uh, I was fascinated by the text that he used from Genesis chapter 27, verse 17. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. And you know, since then until now, our prayer and our hope has been that people would come to Christ through that gate. Uh, and in the last 12 years, since we moved into this building in 2004, we've had 3,669 conversions to Christ. How awesome is that? And one of the things that has impressed me over the years, how so many people have come to Christ because their friends have brought them here. While riding the bus, Anna Maria ran into an old friend of hers. After catching up, she decided to step out in faith and invited her to church. And she said yes. And I was so amazed with the answer. At the end of the service, God put in my heart to take her to the, back, to the pastor. And then pastor called me, said, Anna Maria, good news, she received Jesus Christ. And it was the most rejoiced time and my tears come flow, and it was a joy, tears of joy. I can imagine how the joy in, in heaven is. Maria changed radically. First of all, joy and peace and hope come to her. The field of mission is out there. I love living a missional life with Jesus. Lisa was looking for more in her life. After seeing the changes in her brother, she was soon coming to Center Street Church with him and his family. Lisa has since come to Christ and is now sharing God's love with the people in her life. Uh, I'm really excited to show God's love through my daily actions, um, maybe be an example, and he could speak through me. I've kind of made it as easy as possible for people around me uh, just by being open and easygoing and making it super casual if you want to come sometime we're more than happy to give you a ride um, and then some other I've, I've made some sports bets with people where if they lose then they have to come to church with me <laughs> one of my friends watched their first sermon last Sunday night when my friend said that he'd come to the service next Sunday night I was super pumped I'm encouraged and I'll, I'll keep on it with him um, but it's in God's hands too this looks great. Oh, Good to see you. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Last year, a group of men arrived at Barb's place with their tool belts on, ready to demonstrate that God's people love to lend a helping hand. It was like 33 Celsius outside. I didn't even think they were going to show up. And here a whole crew show up, and there they are building the deck. I have water bottles a whole nine yards. It was a miracle, and the deck is beautiful. So these men are something else. <laughs> God has given us gifts as men. 
we call them gifts, call them whatever you want, but we're able to exercise those gifts and bless others in, when we minister to them. So we get uh, a lot of fulfillment through that. Oh man, I felt blessed like crazy. I mean, this is just like such a miracle that these guys would come out in the heat and do this. Philippians 4:19, my God shall supply all your needs. And God did. He gave me a new deck last year, and I just want to thank the men's ministry um, at Center Street Church for all the work that you've done. And not only the deck, but you did so many things in my house, and I'm so grateful for all of you. Over the last year, Matt, a volunteer youth leader, has been purposely investing in Jarvis's life, building a lasting and growing relationship. So when Matt asked me, I was a fairly new Christian, and um, I felt pretty disconnected from the group, and um, I didn't really know God as, as personally as I do now. He's just really helped me grow over the last year, year and a half, and I just feel so much more connected to not only like the, the group in our church, but, uh, but God. Most mornings we'll text and <laughs> figure out, what did you read this morning? What can I pray for? You know, Matt's just, he's, he's the guy that I can go to and, uh, and you know, talk things through. Uh, or I can just go and hang out and watch the hockey game with him. I've learned so much from Jarvis. The big parts are how to be bold with your friends. Mm -hmm. uh, Jarvis makes me want to tell my coworkers about Jesus. A couple things I've learned from Matt would just be having a humble heart and like just having such an awesome attitude towards everything. This year, the young adults at the Bridgeland campus decided to launch a youth group. Well, the first time I came to youth group, I was the only kid, but now instead of one kid going, there's six or seven. So when I go to youth group, I always come back and, you know, like I tell my mom, oh, you know, we did this, we did this. And so Sundays come and then it's church. And I'm like, mom, we should go to church. So I usually just drag her with me. It's a fun way for all of us to just kind of get together with the rest of the community. I'm in high school and it's really, really stressful, especially with exams coming up. And going to youth group, like, you know, you're there and you're kind of like, oh, I should be home, I should be studying, doing homework. But then you're in the middle of a dodgeball game and it's like, you're not stressed anymore. You're having fun with kids your own age at the church and it's just kind of like a great way to end the week on a Friday and just have fun. At a recent huddle gathering in South Calgary, the group decided to do something just a little bit different. And we decided within our spiritual family, our missional community, to have something like a spiritual potluck. And basically use that to bless everyone else. And then Mesema talked about writing a song. And I said, well, are you sure you want to do that? The song was about God loving me and loving everyone else too. When my son began to sing, uh, it was amazing how everybody, you know, focused and there was so much attention on what the words meant to the individuals. Everyone suddenly realized that you don't have to have a theology degree in order to make a positive impact in another person's life. And so it was interesting to me to see that um, God could use uh, a simple song from a simple child to bless lots of other people. 
After attending Alpha for the first time, Shining was so moved that she committed her life to Christ that very night. Now she is passionately serving in a ministry close to her heart. I have a son with special needs. He has autism. When I joined this church, you know, I got a lot of help from, you know, people around me. I thought it might be good for me to do something in return because people around me just, you know, gave our love and care. So maybe I can do something in return. So that's why I'm doing the volunteer work there. You know, the person with special needs usually is not that connected to the communities. And this ministry is helping them and their families. So every time when I see somebody with special needs, I pay more attention, I'm more patient, and I will teach them or help them so that I feel, you know, giving love is the same important as receiving the love. Mike and Kelsey are in a ministry called The Walk, an anti-sex trafficking prevention group. They visit sex trade workers, going right into the massage parlors and brothels to minister to them. So it was interesting to see the first time it was accepted, second time there was some hesitation, but then after the third and fourth time, again, they really started to just feel comfortable around us. One of the cool stories that we love, it happened around Valentine's Day. We brought um, a massive bouquet of flowers into one of the massage parlors, you know, and so we're sitting there on the couch waiting to give gifts to the girls, and she's, she yells down the hall, our church friends are here, our church friends are here, everybody. And we just didn't expect that. Like, it was just, wow, God, like, you're moving, you're softening even the madam's heart so that she can allow us to come into her business to bless her and her ladies. Jesus just loves these women, you know, uh, he just sees them and he wants the absolute best for them. He wants freedom for his daughters. After losing his job, Brian felt called to walk alongside others going through the same struggles he was. He started leading workshops at Center Street Church to not only help people find work, but to build into their lives. I think one of the things that helped me get out of this rut that I was in after losing my job was the idea that I could be helping other people in the same situation that I was. Uh, a number of people out of this workshop uh, are now employed, which is fantastic. Some of them had been out of work for uh, upwards of a year or, or more. A couple of things that really stood out to me about this group was a community developed out of this group that was an encouragement to one another, a, a sounding board even, and uh, we had an opportunity to pray and lift people up in their sorrow and their despair. One of the coolest things was seeing a person who had been out of work for a long time come up with victory in her eyes, uh, saying, I start work on Monday. I think one of the ways that you bring people to Christ is through building relationships. And uh, when you build friendships uh, through the kinds of things that you describe, uh, doing work for people, uh, two-way re relationships, uh, once you become friends, people will respond to that friendship and want to become uh, what you are. Whether you are in the marketplace, helping the needy, volunteering with youth, mentoring someone, or inviting them to church, we have all been called to the same mission, to go and make disciples who are committed to accomplishing God's redemptive purposes in the world.
Well, aren't those stories encouraging to us all? Amen. I just want to say hi to all of you that are online and also those of you that are meeting here at Central Campus and those of you that are meeting together at one of our regional campuses in Airdrie and Bridgeland and in South Calgary and also in Northwest Calgary. Um, We are one church uh, in many locations, um, not only um, uh, for our weekend uh, uh, gatherings, but thousands of us also meet uh, through the week in homes and other locations uh, to have fun and to encourage and, and pray for one another and to respond to the assignments that God gives to us. Um, now, these stories are, are just a handful of hundreds that could be told. I mean, every week we hear stories that just kind of blesses our socks off uh, because we you know, just so firmly believe that this is the mission that God has called us to. So this is Vision Weekend. Uh, we set one week aside every year uh, for this purpose. And in this particular address, I want to remind us all of God's plan for his church. And so I'm going to invite you to stand and let's just dedicate our time to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, again, we just um, thank you for uh, this kingdom, Lord, that you invite us into. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask now that you would um, just... Um, expand our understanding um, of your purpose for the church. And Lord, we're the church. It isn't an institution. It's people like us. And so Lord, speak to each one of us. Soften our hearts. Lord, just focus our minds and then give us the courage, Lord, to step out and to do that one thing that you are calling us to do. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. may be seated. As some of you know, I grew up in a troubled home. I loved my parents, and each of them had qualities that I admired. But as far back as I can remember, uh, their marriage was on life support, which created a lot of tension in our home and uncertainty in the lives of our kids, uh, my kids' sisters. Now, there were seasons uh, when we functioned more like a family, But those were far more the exceptions rather than the rule. I can recall often going to bed fearful of what would happen to us should uh, our parents choose to go separate ways. Um, I I struggled greatly with all of this. And uh, while other kids my age would be dreaming and wishing for maybe a new toy or a bike or something... My greatest wish was that my parents would get along and that we could keep being a family. In my early teens, I did everything I could to get them to reconcile, even arranged for uh, our pastor at the time to come over at a uh, predetermined time and hope that maybe we could get them talking and work this thing out. I prayed daily that their... um, love would reignite, but it was not to be. They separated for some time, and and then the day came when we got word that our parents were divorced. 
I was 16 at the time, and it was one of... It's one of the saddest days of my life. And I say that because even at a young age, there was something in me, put there by God, I believe, that longed for family. Sadly, our home was not a place of refuge. It was not a place that we much wanted to be and definitely not a place we'd invite anyone to come to. My sisters and I spent most of our teen years looking for a home and a family elsewhere. And I remember as a teen praying that if I was to marry and have a family, history would not repeat itself in my future family. That God would bless me with a family that was close and that was healthy. And I regularly thank him for answering that prayer. Now I share all that with you because my longing to be part of a healthy family is not unique. I believe all of us have this God-given desire, this, this inner longing to be part of a family where we're loved, accepted, included, cared for, needed, valued, and supported. Now, by the way, when I refer to family in this message, I'm referring to it in two primary ways. One way, of course, the nuclear family and or a family of friends. You see, our creator God in essence, is a family of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all of whom are God and who are the perfect family. I mean, if you want to know what perfect love and acceptance is, just have a good look at the Trinity. Now, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, they were experiencing such a depth of love and intimacy, they decided to widen the circle of love by creating the human race, beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us, that's referring to the Trinity, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, we aren't gods the way that some cultic groups believe, but we are made in the image of God. Unlike the rest of creation, we have the capacity to think and to reason and to make decisions in life. But being made in the image of God also includes, I believe, our innate desire for relationships in the way that I defined it. In verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. In creating Adam and Eve, God established the first human family. And he said, multiply, increase your family. God's intent from the beginning was for us to love and to relate to him as our closest friend. But also for us to love and relate to one another as friends and as family. Now in Genesis 3, we read our first parents decided to do their own thing rather than what God really wanted them to do. And when that happened, the community or the family God desired for us to experience was fractured. Their relationship with God and with one another was broken. Adam and Eve looked at each other and they knew in that moment that something had changed. 
Instead of loving and accepting one another, they began to accuse and reject the other. Instead of including and supporting one another, they began to compete and criticize and make demands of one another. And friends, the breakdown of relationships and, and families and marriages and friendships can be traced back to this event in Genesis 3, an event that has repeated itself countless times down through history. But God is not a quitter. He's a lover. He's a God of grace and of compassion. And he said, I'm going to make a way for everyone to come back in right relationship with me and also with each other. I'm, I'm going to reestablish a loving, healthy family, not unlike what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. And so toward that end in Genesis 12, we, we read that God made a covenant with Abe, Abram, later to be known as Abraham. And he basically said to him, Abe, if, if you and your family will love me with all of your heart, if you will obey me, I'm going to bless you. Your family will become mighty. Your family will be prosperous. Your family will actually become a great nation. And other nations, when they see how blessed and how prosperous you are, they're going to realize that your God is God. And they're going to put their trust in me and they're going to worship me. But Abraham's descendants failed again and again to be the righteous community that God had called them to be. They broke the covenant again and again. And so in the fullness of time, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to our planet as the God-man. To make it possible through his death and resurrection for people to be brought back in right relationship with God and to bring his children of faith together as a family again. A family that God had in mind from the beginning. And that community or that spiritual family is the church. The church, of course, is not a perfect family because it consists of imperfect people, but God's plan for the church is perfect. God wants the church to be a community in which relationships resemble what Adam and Eve experienced before their rebellion. Though Jesus never married, when he began his ministry, one of the first things that he did was to invite a group of men into his life to be a family, to do life together and fulfill the mission that his father called him to do. And, 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 and this is a good reminder to those who are single that you can be part of a family. You don't have to be married to have a spiritual family. And Jesus' family of disciples laid the foundation for the early church, who according to Acts chapter 2, also met together in homes and extended families typically consisting of an assortment of people, including married folks and their children and youth and relatives and friends. Acts 2.47 says that these spiritual families were irrevocably committed to one another. They lived such compelling lives and loved and served one another and, and others in such a captivating way that they enjoyed the favor of 
everyone in the community. People were drawn to them. They found themselves saying, I want to be part of this extended family. I like what I see there. And in time, they came to know the God who was the head of that spiritual family. Now, in addition to meeting together in homes, in Acts, Acts chapter 2 says that all of these families that were meeting all over the community in homes, they would meet together in the temple courts, kind of like a family reunion, much like what's happening here. See, the assumption is that you're all part of spiritual families, and we just get together for a family reunion every weekend. And that's what they did. They got together in the temple courts, and they would worship. And then they would hear one of the apostles speak or teach. And it appears that many of them had cultivated some meaningful relationships with their neighbors because it's pretty clear from the passage that they invited a whole lot of their neighbors and stuff to the temple courts. Because we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 40 that at one of those meetings in which Peter spoke, over 3,000 people became followers of Christ that day and were baptized. That is a lot of whew, baptisms. And this has continued down through the centuries. Even though not every spiritual family or church has represented Christ well down through history. The reason the church of Jesus Christ is still alive and well today around the world is because there has always been a righteous remnant. There has always been those who lived such a compelling Christ-like life personally and together with a spiritual family that others in their sphere of influence were drawn to them and in time to put their trust in Jesus. Which brings us to today and to us as a church. We live in a day in which intelligent and sophisticated folk may be able to articulate why they do not believe in God. But they cannot explain why they have this ache deep down inside of them. An ache that they have tried to treat with money, with sex, with power, and an assortment of other things. And yet that ache remains. Psalm 62.1 says that ache will continue to remain until a, that particular person finds his rest in God, puts his faith in God and God alone. And as I explained earlier, along with their ache for God, I also believe they ache for family, an authentic, healthy family. And some of these people live next door to us. Some of these people work beside us. Some of them are longtime friends, and some of them are part of our own family. And Jesus loves them. And he longs for them to come to know and, and to trust him. He longs for them to come home and to be part of his spiritual family. And he invites us to join him in this incredible cause, this mission of seeing all people come back in relationship with himself, but also in relationship with one another. 
Now make no mistake, we can't change anyone's heart. Only God can do that. But he wants to bring about change through us. He wants to accomplish the, his redemptive purposes through us. And so if we want to influence people to put their trust in Christ and to influence them to become part of God's family, there's some things that we're going to need to give our lives to. This is not something that we can just squeeze into an already overcrowded schedule. This has to become a way of life. And first of all, we're going to need to daily surrender our lives to God. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen. What that means is empower. In order to empower those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Reflect on that verse a moment. Our eternal, majestic, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God is searching for a certain kind of heart. God wants to cultivate a close friendship with us. He wants to strengthen us, empower us, and bless us and accomplish his kingdom purposes through us. But it's going to require that our heart is wholly surrendered to him, that he is the object of our highest affection. You know, this past weekend, we were blessed to have Johnny Erickson Tata with us. How many of you were able to be here and to hear her? Many of you. When Johnny was 17, she dove into a shallow bay. She broke her neck. And for the last 50 years, she has been a quadriplegic, essentially confined to a wheelchair. Now, if you missed her message, I want to challenge you to get the DVD or watch it online because from my perspective, it was one of the most impactful messages we've ever heard in, in our church. And as I listened to her speak, and I heard her, I think, three times, I just was flooded with emotion time and time again. And I was thinking about why that was, and... I concluded it wasn't because I was feeling sorry for her situation, as heartbreaking as it is. No, I believe that most of us were so deeply moved because of the powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit of God on her life. She is a living example of what, what, what the Lord said to the Apostle Paul. When he said, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Many years ago, Johnny made a decision not to grow angry or bitter over her situation, but rather to draw closer to Jesus. And we witnessed the fruit of that commitment last weekend as God's spirit moved powerfully through her life and through her words. We had her at our staff meeting a couple of days before, I think it was Thursday morning. And there, in addition to the staff, there were some people at the back who were here for the uh, special needs conference that was going to take place Friday and Saturday. There's some people from the community there. 
And we just asked some general questions of Johnny, a little bit about her personal life and some other things. Johnny did not share her testimony. She did not share uh, the gospel. She didn't uh, challenge people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. There was none of that. And yet at the end of this fairly ordinary interview, there was someone at the back who was so convicted. They committed their lives to Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you lean into Jesus Christ. And as she said, it was the wheelchair, the hardest thing in her life that led her to lead into Jesus rather than get bitter at him. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud. He resists those, including Christians, who go through life thinking that they can manage life without God, who do most everything that they do in their own strength, who kind of, you know, whip through a little short time with God and then say, okay, God, I got the rest of the day covered. We'll see you tomorrow. Who only come to God for help when life completely crashes around them. But the passage goes on to say that God, yes, he resists the proud, but he gives grace. He blesses, he empowers, he uses, he lives through those who are humble. Those who daily live in humble dependence on him, who lean on him and, and intentionally involve the Lord in their day. This is the way that Johnny has lived for nearly 50 years and explains why God is working so powerfully through her life. And friends, this can be uh, each of our stories at well, as well. I mean, what is your wheelchair? What is your hardship? What is that one thing or those two things that are just weighing you down? And what are you doing with it? Are you just getting angry at God? Or are you leaning into God? Because if you choose to lean into Jesus, despite what it is you're going through, rather than feeling sorry for yourself and grumbling and complaining and, and whining and all those other things, if you choose rather to lean into Jesus... you're going to begin to cultivate a close relationship with him. And as a result of all of that, God's anointing is going to be upon you. It's going to grow in your life just as it has in Johnny's life. And it's going to flow in and through us onto the life of other people. People will sense Jesus in us they will sense his character and his spirit flowing through us. And they will be drawn to the Jesus that we know and love in ways that we could never accomplish in our own strength. If there's someone that's near and dear to you that doesn't know Jesus and you desperately want them to, and as Christians we should, lean more into Jesus. And he'll use you in ways you never dreamed of.
Furthermore, if we're going to influence people to put their trust in Jesus and to become part of his forever family, we're going to need to belong to a loving spiritual family ourselves. You know, there's over 50 instructions in the New Testament that you cannot obey unless you are part of a church family. Throughout the New Testament, you read instructions given to to Christians like love one another, um, encourage one another, pray for one another, admonish one another, accept one another, honor one another, forgive one another. And there's about another 50 of them. Passages like this make it clear that the Christian life was never intended to be lived in isolation, but rather in the context of a spiritual family. Now, being part of a loving spiritual family is not only critical to helping us grow spiritually and to stay on track, but God will use your spiritual family to draw people to himself. You know, not long ago, a a young woman approached me and she told me that there was a, a young man who was wanting to pursue a relationship with her. And uh, the problem was she didn't know this guy, she didn't know anything about him and she wasn't sure really who he was and she didn't want to get too involved because she did, just didn't know. So she said to me or asked me, how do you know what a person is really like? Well, I, I gave several suggestions but One of them was to spend some time with his closest friends. Because you see, the character, the values, the attitudes, and the lifestyle of our closest friends is going to reveal a lot about who we are. In the same way, the people that we're trying to influence at our workplace or in our class or in the neighborhood, you know, they're wondering if we're the real deal. And just like this young woman, they, they wonder if, if, if we're really what they see. And they're, they're struggling with, um, you know, entertaining the notion of this Jesus Because they're not really sure about you. But when they meet your spiritual family and observe genuine humility and love and caring going on that only Christ can give and transparency and and realness and, and, and servant hearts, something begins to happen inside of them. Their yearning for authentic community begins to to grow because they see something that's real. And suddenly you become more real and more authentic to them as well, more believable. And God will use your spiritual family to draw them closer to himself if they are close to the Lord and surrender to the Lord.
In the same way that we read in Acts chapter 2, the early believers, they loved each other so profoundly. It was so, un, uh, uh, it was so different than the rest of the culture that the people of the greater community just wanted to be part of them. The question is, are, are you part of a spiritual family like that? If not, pray that God would help you either to find one or to start one yourself. Always remembering that a spiritual family can start with just two people. You and someone that you invite into relationship. Someone that has a similar heart as you do, similar values, convictions, passions. And then thirdly, if we're going to influence people to put their trust in Jesus, we're going to need to love those in our sphere of influence. In Acts 2, it says the Christians in the early church, they had the favor of all the people in the community. And you don't win the favor of other people by ignoring them. I'm sure the early believers spent time with those in their neighborhood. They perhaps were serving them in some way, having fun with them, sharing meals with them. And then at the God-ordained time, they maybe had a spiritual conversation with them and, and possibly even came and said, hey, you know, my family's hanging out at the park. Do you want to come and join us? So pray consistently for those in your sphere of influence at work or in your neighborhood. And just bloom where you're planted. Just regularly ask the Lord to show you how you might practically care for and love those people. And I just want to say, don't forget about the opportunities that God may bring your way in and through our church. Maybe you've been serving, spending time with your neighbor or perhaps a person at work for, for a number of years. Maybe it's been 10 years or five years. And they're really nice and everything. They love talking to you until you start talking a little bit about spiritual things. And it's just like they tune out, their eyes glaze over. And, and you can tell after many of these kind of conversations that they just have no interest in spiritual things. Well, while you're waiting for God to do what you can't do in that person's life, I want to remind you that every weekend, thousands of people get in their car and they make their way to one of our campuses. And I believe on any given weekend, there are hundreds who are seeking God, who are looking for family. I remember when I was around 13, my parents separated. And I went to church one weekend, and at the end of the service, a girl about my age invited me to a youth group. I didn't have a clue what a youth group was, but I did like girls. <laughs> and so I went, hoping that there might be a few more of them. <laughs> and that youth group became a lifeline for me during my teen years. God used that group to keep me close to himself. He used that group to help me process all the stuff that was going on at home. He used that group to help me learn my gifts and my abilities. I developed some amazing friendships in that group and almost everything I know about leadership 
I learned in that youth group. And it was during those years when I sensed God's calling me to full-time ministry. And there were some people there, you know, who were leading that group when I first came to it. And they probably thought, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I prob- they probably were thinking you know, they weren't making any difference at all. They probably thought they were pretty useless and they were just putting in time and yet they didn't realize or have a clue what a lifeline that they were to me. Just the other day I heard about a young man who decided a year or two ago, I don't know the exact time framework, that he was going to invest in the lives of a small group of children in the kindergarten class right here at Central Campus. And he's going to walk with them for at least five years until they completed grade four. He also committed to praying for each of the children, believing God for them to all come to faith in Jesus Christ. With rare exception, he is here every weekend to shepherd that small group of kids. And the kids have come to appreciate him so much and have come to appreciate each other so much that they drag their parents to church week after week because they want to be there with their shepherd and with their friends. I mean, I can just hear their parents. Can you? Oh, Johnny, do we have to go to church again? Come on, Johnny, don't you know the latest polls say that Christians in Canada want to go to church about once every three weeks? Come on. I mean, please, Johnny, why can't we just be like everyone else? Come on, you may be having a blast in your class, but we have to listen to Pastor Henry. But seriously, this shepherd brings these children treats with their parents' permission. He meets with them during the week on occasion to go bowling, to do other fun activities, to serve together, pick out garbage in the community. And you know what's really cool is that in God's time, all the kids in his small group have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing story? And you know, it's amazing because we ask ourselves, who makes that kind of commitment these days? Well, I'll tell you who makes a commitment like that. Someone who takes the mission that Christ has called to us seriously and follows the Lord wherever it is that he wants us to make a difference. Whether it's with a group at work or whether it's a group of kids in children's ministry. You know, every weekend at at your campus, there are children who need the Lord. And you might be the only stable influence in their life. There are youth who need a big brother or, or a big sister. There are adults who are seeking God or or a spiritual family to belong to, just hoping that someone will approach them and and say, hey, you know, why don't you come to, you know, my community group? Or or, or why don't you, let's go for coffee. There are young adults who would love to have a couple become their adoptive parents. We've got hundreds of young adults, and I know that they would like this. They'd love to hang out at your place from time to time, have access to your fridge. 
I know that because we have three young adults living with us, three young guys. Um, and uh, we have about another 50 young adults who just hang out at our place from time to time. When I come home, I never know who's going to be there sitting in our living room at our kitchen table or downstairs and uh, eating us out of house and home. And, uh, but I, I want to tell you, I, I love it. Because this is the kind of spiritual family that Christ intended, and I want to encourage you to be that kind of a parent to some of the young adults who are in this community, in this city, parents or who knows where, another part of the country. I see what just opening up our home does for these young adults. Friends, there's no greater blessing in life than to love the Lord. There's no greater blessing in life than to be part of a loving spiritual family that's in love with Jesus. There's no greater blessing in life than to be used of God to love others to Jesus. This is the mission that we've been called to. There's no greater cause that you can give your life to. And that's why we're here and not in heaven. God wants us to make a difference in the lives of people and he wants to make a difference through those lives to slowly bring a bit of heaven down to earth. My question to you is, is are you, are you on, on, on mission? Who are you investing in? And who, what, what, what spiritual family? It can be another person, it can be three, it can be five, it can be 50 of you. But what spiritual family are you linking arms with to fulfill the mission that Christ has called us all to in your community, at school, or at the workplace? That's the heart of the message that I want to present, and I I just quickly want to address just a, a couple of other themes I just want to mention, I'm really excited about what God's doing in our night of worship service. It happens on the first Sunday evening of the month. We've been having over 1,600 youth and young adults and young at heart come together here, worship our Lord vibrantly in song, but also to hear testimonies, to see anywhere between 6 to 12 people baptized, and also witness people coming to Christ. And I just want to challenge all the youth and the young adults in particular from all of our campuses to invite not only your Christian friends but also those who don't know the Lord to the night of worship, first Sunday night of every month and pray that God would use that service to break through to them because he is. Also, those youth and young adults who attend Central Campus I see many of you in the various services. And if that's the only service that you can attend, then you know, by all means, keep attending that service. But if you have flexibility in, in your schedule, I want to encourage you to come Sunday evenings. We don't have children's ministry Sunday evenings. It's an evening that we, we increasingly are committed to gearing toward uh, the young, uh, young adults and the youth and young at heart. And particularly those of you who are wanting Um, to introduce your friends to Jesus. So we'd love to hear from you and thoughts from you 
just to make that service, to gear that service more and more to the people you're trying to reach. And then I just want to say a few words about uh, kind of the practical side of carrying out our mission. And I want to talk to you a little bit about our global vision. Has anyone heard the word, have you ever heard me or anybody else use the word glocal? Anybody? There's about seven of you. Okay, all right, okay. Um, the word glocal stands for global and local. We use the term glocal because we believe our local mission here in the city and our global mission are equally important. And for example, introducing a person to Jesus in our weekend services here is as important as a person coming to faith in Christ in one of our partner churches in Nepal. Now, our global vision is this. We are trusting God that by the year 2022, that 70% or more of our budget will go toward our global mission and 30% or less will go toward hub support. So what's global? Well, that stands for everything we do in the church to make disciples. And hub stands for everything we do to provide support to make disciples. That includes such things as finance, communication, operations, campus development, and all that. Now, unfortunately, the feedback that we've been getting is that people are unclear about what's global and what's hub. Even though most people understand it in principle, when you get into the intricacies of preparing the budget, a lot of people have been finding themselves debating whether something's global uh, or hub. And uh, we found that while they're trying to delineate the difference, some people have been left feeling that, you know, global is, is, is spiritual and it's important and hub is kind of more secular and it's less important. And furthermore, the goal of incrementally increasing the budget for global up to 70% and decreasing the budget for hub to 30% and lower only added the perception that global is the greatest value and should be maximized and hub is of less value and should be minimized. In short, the global and hub support paradigm seemed to be polarizing our church rather than uniting us around a common vision as we'd hoped. Now, the cool thing is that almost everyone here doesn't have a clue about any of this. And so, you know, this is a, a few of us that are having, you know, this issue. So, but I'm talking to you about it anyways, okay? So, uh, after much prayer, now, you know, you might want to tune in now because this, this is kind of the cool part. All right. After much prayer and thought, at both the board level and the senior leadership level, we decided to stop using the language of global and hub and just replace it with the word mission. You get that, right? Okay. You see, it's become very clear to us that everything we do as a church, including those who are providing support more behind the scenes, needs to be about the mission that Christ had called us to, and that is to make disciples. You know, you read in 1 Corinthians 12, and, and Paul talks about the body, that every one of us is part of it. Every role, every part of the body is important. And so we don't want to have this paradigm. So Center Street Church's mission is to make disciples in this city and also disciples who are committed to making disciples and accomplishing God's redemptive purposes throughout the world. And we're committed to removing anything from the budget that we believe isn't moving our mission forward. And so going forward, 
we are going to, uh, uh, we, we will have a budget to accomplish essentially two things. One is our mission to our city, which includes Calgary and Airdrie. And the other is uh, to accomplish our mission globally, city and world. At the present time, 82% of our budget is earmarked to help us accomplish our mission to our city. 18% is earmarked to help us accomplish our global mission. Now, just to clarify, global mission are those partner churches and agencies that we support locally, nationally, and internationally. Now, by the year 2020, our goal is to increase the amount that's earmarked for global mission from 18% to 20%, which means of every dollar that you give, 20 cents of it, or a double tithe, a tithe is 10%, so a double tithe, will be directed at our Center Street Global Mission Fund, and 80% will be slated for our Center Street um, City Mission Fund. Now, perhaps some of you feel that the percentage of global mission should be greater. But let me remind you, in most of the countries that our partner churches and agencies reside, a Canadian dollar has, you know, three to four times the impact that it does here in Calgary. The cost of doing mission in our city and country is among the highest in the world. But as I said, that doesn't mean the mission here is any less important. I mean, compared to people in third world countries, we, we, may, have more, we may be more prosperous financially, but the spiritual needs in this city and in our nation is every bit as great. In fact, I would venture to say that they are greater because our prosperity blinds us from seeing our need for God. And what's really sad, so many parents today, including a lot of Christian parents, aren't getting this. They think, you know, my kid's well off. You know, he's in sports, he's doing well in school, he's healthy, everything's great. And you know, the spiritual component of their child's life is kind of something that they, you know, kind of put in the, you know, perhaps will, you know, that's kind of in the optional category. And that's so incredibly sad. Because we have an amazing spiritual poverty going on in this nation and in this city. And parents, including many Christian parents, aren't getting it. May the Lord help us about what's going to happen to the next generation with where we're going. We are worshiping at the idols, counterfeit idols that are going to rot and rust and get ripped off one day. My challenge to us all is, is that we would not let our material prosperity blind us to the spiritual poverty that exists in our city and our nation. We have a huge mission field around us, folks. I believe it's the toughest mission field on the planet. Because as I said, there are so many other gods that people can worship. And I want to make clear that I am not in any way saying that our mission field here is more important than anywhere else in the world. No. I want to be clear in saying that it is equally important. 
to anywhere else in the world. This is our Jerusalem. And Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then he went on to say, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. Now, some of you are probably wondering, well, what if our offerings exceed the budget? What if they exceed what you need in order to carry out the mission to the city and globally? Where will those funds be directed? Well, we thought of that as well. And we've made the following provisions for that. Anything that comes in over and above uh, our budget will be directed this way. 80% will go toward our Center Street Global Mission Fund. And only 20% will go toward our Center Street City Mission Fund to make provision for new initiatives and opportunities that are there to reach our city for Christ. In other words, we're reversing the percentages on anything that comes in over and above the budget that we, we have. So what that means, friends, is that, say our budget's $10 million. That means that $2 million of that is going to global missions. $8 million of that is for our city mission. But let's say that, you know, we are all to join in, and all of us were to tithe or give 10% or more, um, what would happen is, is that our giving would probably, even in these tough times, would probably double, probably at 20 million at the very least. Well, if 20 million came in and our budget's 10 million, then 80% then of that 10 million, which is 8 million, would go to global mission. Talk about the impact that that would have. You add the 2 million that comes from our budget, you've got $10 million going to global mission and you have $10 million going to City Mission. And that's if we all just decided that we were going to tithe. Yeah. Make no mistake. We are committed to always carefully evaluating what we're doing to advance our mission in this city and around the world. Beyond our budget, which is our best estimate, what we need to make an impact that God has called us to make. Beyond that, anything, every dollar we receive uh, over our budget, our intention is to invest 80% of it globally. I'll close with this. You know, on a typical weekend, there are over 7,000 people that are meeting like you are right now at one of our five different campuses. And thousands are joining us online. And most every week, they're hearing the word of God taught. The good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed. And as Gordon mentioned in the video that you saw earlier in the service, over the last 12 years, over 3,600 people have come to faith in Jesus Christ, either through our worship services or through the influence of people who are part of our church. I think we need to celebrate that just a little. And that's just the ones that we know about. Typically, we only really know about a third of the decisions that are made. In addition to that, hundreds more have come to faith in Christ through our partner churches and our partner agencies. But here's the thing. Center Street Church would not exist. Our meeting together right now for worship 
in this place would not be happening were it not for the faith, the generosity, and the faithful ministry and service of those who have gone before us. There are people in this place who are Christ followers because there was someone in children's ministry who loved you or there was a youth uh, volunteer who, who, who invested their life into you or because you had a place like this to come to and to hear the gospel preached and you committed your life at the altar. Let's not forget about the faith the service and the generosity of those who have gone before us. The buildings here at Central Campus or at our Bridgeland Campus would not exist were it not for those people and their investment. The facilities we're renting at our other campuses would probably be rented out to somebody else. Even more importantly, tens of thousands of people whose faith has been strengthened down through the years by the testimonies, the ministry, the teaching and the preaching from the, the, the pastors and from people of this church. The thousands of children and youth and adults who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and have grown in their faith as a result of the ministry of our church. The millions of dollars that Christian agencies in this city who are ministering to the poor and the marginalized have received uh, over the years from Center Street. The millions of dollars our partner churches and agencies overseas have received over the years from Center Street. And the millions more that relief agencies have received from our church down through the years. None of that would have happened or would be happening were it not for the faith, the generosity, and the faithfulness and the vision of those who have gone before us. If somewhere along the way, they would have said, what we're doing as a church just doesn't matter anymore. Other ministries are more important. We're just going to support them. Let's pack it in. Let's close the doors for good. And you know, that's happening Every day there's churches. I think the number is like three or four or five churches a day are closing their doors everywhere, every day in North America. All that to say this, I trust you, see, but also believe that the mission that God has given to us to reach our city and our world for Christ and to accomplish his redemptive purposes in our world really matters. It matters to God and it matters. It needs to matter to us. And I hope it matters to you. And if it matters to you, I have a question for you. Will you do for this generation and the next generation? what the previous generation has done for you? Will you? Will you be on mission with us? Will you serve? Will you give regularly and faithfully so that the work can continue? the kingdom can expand and Jesus' influence can penetrate our world. 
These are difficult days in our province, in our, in our city. There's all kinds of layoffs and businesses are hurting and the impact is being felt everywhere. And yes, it's being felt in our church. And what I'm about to say, I'm not saying in order to um, move you to perhaps give more if you can. What I said up to this point, I hope that is what motivates you to be faithful in giving and to give what God would have you give. But not what I'm about to say. Because I really don't believe in giving that's based on guilt. The Bible talks about giving from a grateful heart. That's what Jesus wants. But I just want you to know that we're committed not to going into debt. And we have no debt as a church. And we have been faithful not to go into debt. We're in the process as an executive team of making some very difficult and necessary decisions. We as an executive team have made the decision to take a significant rollback on, a, on our salaries. And we're restructuring things in order to function more efficiently and more in alignment with our mission. And it's going to result in some changes. Some things are going to receive lower priorities and others are going to receive greater priorities. And we want you to know that we're also looking at rollbacks on all of our staff salaries and even the possibility of layoffs. These are difficult times requiring difficult decisions and much prayer. And we'd ask that you would pray for us because this is something that is very, very difficult. The kind of decisions we make in a church setting is so different than, you know, decisions that are made in corporations. And I just ask for your prayer. But having said that, I just want you to know that um, we're not circling our wagons. We're not, we're not turning inward. We're not hunkering down. We're not saying, woe is us. No. We're committed to praying new prayers. We're committed to trusting God for more changed lives. You see, when I read the Bible, I just can't justify maintaining the status quo. I want to invest my life in that which will glorify God and that's going to last forever. I mean, don't you? I challenge you to count the cost. And then sign over the rest of your life to the greatest cause ever given to man. And be all in. Be all in to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that so desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? take a moment again and just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what is one thing that you want me to do?
Our Heavenly Father, our hearts are filled with gratitude for your faithfulness and the way that you have blessed us as individuals and as a church over the years. Lord, we give you all the glory for what you have done. Great is your faithfulness. We believe, Lord, the best is yet to come. But Lord, we recognize that that's going to require a decision on our part to surrender our lives to you completely and to do what you want to do in us and through us. Thank you, Lord, for including us in this incredible cause. And I ask throughout this gathering and at our other campuses, Lord, that right now people would be surrendering themselves anew to your calling and to letting you live your life of love through them. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to pour out your spirit on your church. We're committing ourselves anew, Lord, to prevailing in prayer for those that you've burdened us with. And Lord, we repent of inconsistency and apathy in our lives. Fill us with your spirit, we pray, and show us what it is you want us to do in making our church the kind of church you would be proud to call your bride. Our hands are open to you, Lord. Direct us and use us, I pray, until every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord and King. To the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.